Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast that explores the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. He is Peter Watson and I'm David Steele and this is the Earth 2 podcast and we do talk about the legacy of DC's Golden Age characters and this is one we've been building up to for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Listeners, you're probably very aware, if you've listened to our early episodes, of the Golden Age DC Comics superhero and Justice Society member Johnny Thunder and his Magic Thunderbolt that made their first appearance in Flash Comics issue one and have appeared several times in the podcast when you know in the Flash or in the, the various JLA GSA team up stories. And you're probably aware that Johnny Thunder is a DC Comics legacy name. And you might be wondering why it's taken us so long to mention him. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, because this week we are looking at issue 72 of Showcase, which was published on the 28th of November, 1967. And the cover for this one bears the legend, Showcase presents Top Gun. Now, we're not doing a podcast about the the very famous Tom Cruise movie about aeroplanes from the 80s. Aeroplanes from the 80s. Aeroplanes from the 80s. That's uh, coming soon from David and Peter Productions. I think Alan Partridge was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Alan Partridge and his dictaphone gif, isn't it? Aeroplanes <laughs> of the 80s. Showcase 72 bears a legend. Showcase presents Top Gun, and it reprints stories featuring the DC characters, the Trigger Twins, but also Johnny Thunder. And it's not the Johnny Thunder who we know in the Justice Society. It's another character who... I tend to refer to as, and I'm not sure if Peter does the same, as the Western Johnny Thunder. I use that exact same yes. term, yes. Just for convenience. And so it's quite helpful that this showcase, which at this point is doing a sort of mix between reprint material and character debut stuff, because Dolphin appears the first time around about now, the Spectre mm-hmm. had a few issues, the Inferior Five had a few issues. It seems that this was showcase attempting to revive a couple of their Western characters, maybe floating them, see how things went. Would they get their own comic? We don't know. So we just thought that this issue being published in our chronology that we we're following was the perfect point to talk about the Western Johnny Thunder. We're going to do the story that he appears in this issue of Showcase. But before we get to that, Pete's going to give us some background information. Thank you, David. Pete, it was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> As David was saying, the original JSA Johnny Thunder first appeared in Flash Comics number one. That was the 10th of November 1939. Not the 40s, actually still in the 30s. Amazing. When that first came out. Now, over the years, his popularity waned, and he made his final Golden Age appearance in All-Star Comics number 39, which came out on Christmas Eve, 1947. Think about that. That's like eight years. Mm-hmm. That's all he was published for. That's quite back a long in the time. He lasted, I mean, that he lasted longer than our man. Yeah, but just think about comics these days. You know, think about I how suppose. long characters last. Yeah, and, I know. suppose, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because basically his Flash strip and his GSA membership was taken over by Black Canary, who ironically debuted <laughs> in a Johnny Thunder story. <laughs> so, yes. Yep. But it was only six months later, in June 1948, that the Western hero known as Johnny Thunder made his debut in a story, funnily enough, called... Johnny Thunder. <laughs> That's a great name for a story. It certainly is. And that was in All-American Comics issue 100, where he joined Green Lantern, Doctor Midnight, The Black Pirate, and there were also reprints of Mutt and Jeff in there. Cool. Now, with issue 103, All-American Comics became All-American Western. And Johnny appeared in every issue until its cancellation with issue 126 in April 1952. Obviously, superheroes were on the outs at yeah. that point. The Western heroes were rising. Mm-hmm. It was a complete rebrand, so he wasn't with the superheroes for very long in All-American. 
But Johnny didn't disappear with All-American Western. A few months later, in August 1952, he got a regular strip in All-Star Western, starting with issue 67. All-Star Western, of course, being the series that continued the numbering from All-Star Comics, starting with issue 58. Now that, of course, lets us tell the, the story about the young Roy Thomas indeed getting his very yeah. first subscription to, to All-Star Comics, the, the massive Justice Society fan. Would we be doing this podcast without Roy, do you think? I don't think we would. Probably not. Because no. we talked about doing an All-Star Squadron podcast years ago and that was written by Roy. Anyway, Roy, the story that Roy tells is that he subscribed to All-Star Comics and, and sat waiting and waiting for this first issue to arrive. And it wasn't issue 58 of All-Star Comics that he got. It was issue 58 of All-Star Western and there were no <laughs> Justice Society members to be seen. Nope. Poor Roy, it's horrible. Heartbreaking. Indeed. Indeed. Terrible. The Johnny stories ran every issue up until that series was cancelled with All-Star Western 119 in April 1961. Mm. Now, most of them were written by Bob Kaniger, and some of the artists in this were fantastic. You had art from Alex Toth, mm-hmm. Cameron Infantino, Gil Kane. I mean, it was some fantastic people worked on this. But interestingly, it was only two years later in April 1963 that the original Johnny Thunder and his T-Volts made his first Silver Age appearance in Flash 137, Vengeance of the Immortal Villain. Yep. So it's only two years that there hadn't been a character called Johnny Thunder. It's fascinating, isn't it? So yeah, so the Western hero actually lasted 13 years. Amazing. Yeah, as opposed to Johnny's original eight years. So that was a longer-lasting legacy. That's phenomenal, isn't it? It strikes me now, just even talking about it like this, that I'm astonished that he never popped up in the Jeff Johns, James Robinson Justice Society series. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because they did quite a lot of stuff with Legacy, and you can mm-hmm. imagine them, you know, maybe being sent through time or yeah. something, or, you know, them travelling back in time, and mm-hmm. Jakeem maybe meeting them or something. Would have been interesting, You know, yeah. something like that, that would have been yeah. really cool. Maybe right. that will happen one day, now that we've said it. Indeed. Now, over the years, some of the Western Johnny stories have been reprinted, mm-hmm. firstly in the issue we're covering today, and in a couple of issues of Super DC Giant in 1970, which were popular enough to give him his own series titled Johnny Thunder, that started in December 1972, but it only lasted three issues. Yep. Got all of those. We'll be putting the covers for the, the 70s Johnny Thunder up yeah. on the socials, kids, so don't worry, you'll be able to see them. All of those stories were reprints, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, Johnny made his first non-reprint reappearance in the star-studded lineup of characters that featured in Showcase 100 <laughs> from February 1978, making that, think about this, making that the third issue 100 he appeared in after all american comics 100 and all-star western 100 amazing that's fantastic how many other characters would have appeared in issue 100 yeah. that's really that's a great statistic it's, it's, well, i love it characters that didn't have their own title you know yeah yeah okay Listeners, if you can think of other characters, yes. not like Superman and Batman, who've got their own titles, mm. let us know. Because Please I do. think that's a lovely little, uh, <laughs> lovely little nugget of information. Yeah. Uh, he also then appeared in the Whatever Happened To backup story in DC Comics Presents number 28 from September 1980. Mm. And of course, he features in a couple of issues of Crisis and Infinite Earths. Yep. And has popped up from time to time post crisis. But also in this issue, it also has characters called the Trigger Twins. Now, they're another two Western characters called Walter and Wayne Trigger. They debuted in All-Star Western 58, the aforementioned yes. All-Star Western 58. Sorry, Roy. <laughs> in a story called Two-Fisted Justice, again written by Bob Kaniger, with art by Carmen Infantino and Joe Giella. They ran all the way to issue 116 in October 1960, so it was just short of its final issue, 119 six months later, because it was right. bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. And like the Western Johnny Thunder, they also had a brief reprint title in January 1973, but that only lasted one issue. Yep. 
Now, we're going to come across them later on the podcast as they turn up in some crisis crossover issues of All-Star Squadron. But interestingly, the name the Trigger Twins has been reused. Mm. So mm. they have their own legacy. Yeah. Uh, post-crisis, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan created two Batman villains called Tad and Tom Trigger, also known as the Trigger Twins. They're bad guys this time. Yeah. Very exciting. They first appeared in Detective Comics 667 in 1993, and they've turned up several times across the Batman titles before their deaths in Infinite Crisis 6 in May 2006. I hate Infinite Crisis. All year I've been catching up on the Just League International Bwahaha podcast, and mm-hmm. they quite often allude to the Max Lord and Blue Beetle yeah. altercation yeah. That, from Infinite Crisis, and, and it's just like, no, nah, I'm not into it. The first time I experienced Trigger Twins, I think, apart from All-Star Squadron, was the... Do you remember in 1997 when all the DC annuals had the themed, you know, pulp heroes? Oh, yes. Motif? Uh-huh. Yeah. And the villainous Trigger Twins that you mentioned, they popped up in the Robin annual. To kind oh, of, of course, yeah. confound Robin and the Huntress. Yeah, well, see, I see what we can do about scraping together some Trigger Twins mm-hmm. covers. I might, I'll see if I can post the cover to the mm-hmm. to issue one from the 70s and maybe that Robin annual. That'd be, yeah. that'd be worth sharing. So, yeah, Western Johnny Thunder... When did you first encounter them then, do you think? Probably Showcase 100. Right. Because I would have read that uh, and I would have read the Whatever Happened To and then of course I would have seen him in Who's Who. But, but to be honest, that's probably about it. I think it must have been in Crisis and in Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. Because there's that sequence when there's a few of the Western heroes together. Spoilers, mm-hmm. we won't go any further than that. So this issue of Showcase, mm-hmm. as we say, published at the tail end of 1967, were they attempting to revive the Western characters? Were they throwing them out there to see what happened? I mean... You know, there wasn't a, an immediate new series featuring them. But it's a very important DC Legacy thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'm astonished that he appeared as long as he did. Yeah. And, and actually, in a prep, I've, I've read a couple of other stories, because there's one reprinted in the greatest 1950s stories mm-hmm. in hardback, which obviously led us to our Tommy Tomorrow episode a few months ago. We should probably talk about the, you know, the setup for the character, the way he works. Mm-hmm. He's the son of Sheriff Tain. Yeah, his real name's John Tain. Yeah. So. And John Tain is like the mild-mannered teacher, this you know, blonde-haired and bespectacled. Mm-hmm. And he takes his glasses off, dyes his hair black, etc., and, and becomes Johnny Thunder. I think in his original story, there was an evil rancher or something, so he disguised himself, so mm. he recognised mm-hmm. that sort of yeah. thing. And it's fascinating reading the stories for the moments where John Tain changes into his secret identity. And you're like, <laughs> does he carry hair dye around with him? Grecian 2000. Yeah, does he carry some Grecian 2000 or anything that Holly Willoughby would advertise on television or something? <laughs> or does he just get some dirt? And people always talk about the whole Clark Kent mm-hmm. secret identity thing and how people never recognise Clark yeah. or Superman as being the same person. And there's so many scenes in the Johnny Thunder stories where yeah. Johnny's father is face to face with him <laughs> and his contempt for his son is so strong that he doesn't even recognise him when he's taking his glasses off and his different coloured hair. Perhaps he does a Christopher Reeve and changes his poise and pose and yeah, voice. he maybe changes his voice a little bit, yeah. I suppose. There's, there's probably elements of that. I mean, it's been a lot of fun reading these stories again. So we're going to do the Johnny Thunder story from Showcase 72, which is a reprint of a story from All-American Western issue 104, which came out in October 1948. And while we're here, we'll tell you as well that the Trigger Twins story is a reprint from All-Star Western number 101, which came out in April 1958. Mm. If you want to go digging for that through your long boxes so you can see how they compare. Now that we've got all the info dump stuff out of the way, <laughs> do you want to tell the listeners about the cover to Showcase Issue 72? I'd love to. There's a dramatic red background. Yes. The banner at the top has got a small Showcase Presents. Mm. And 
the Top Gun logo that you mentioned, which also has got a revolver yeah. in the front of it. And there's a caption that says, The real old West explodes to life again, featuring Johnny Thunder and the Trigger Twins. And we have what I hope is a bad guy being <laughs> shot by Johnny Thunder, who's got a very dramatic pose. His legs are spread wide apart mm. uh, as he fires his gun from his hip with his dark hair and Superman kiss curl that he has there. Yes. He also has a sheriff's badge on, or, or some sort of a star badge, anyway. He's got a white hat that's on a string, basically at the back of his head, not actually on his head, but uh, hanging on his back. And in between his legs, you can see his white horse kicking up in the background. Yeah. Yeah. The bad guy that he's shooting does look very shady when you look at him. You know, mm. he's, he's, he's unshaven. Mm -hmm. He looks a bit grizzled. He's clearly a bad guy. This cover's by Ross Heath. Ah, lovely. It's very nice indeed. Mm. Very striking the way that the, the yellow logo, as you would say, pops from yes. the red and he's silhouetted against the red, you know, with his sort of mustardy coloured shirt and his blue jeans. He's, I like his jacket. It's the sort of thing Michael Nesmith probably was wearing running about now in the monkeys, <laughs> to be honest. It's a good one. Shall we leap straight in then? Let's do that. Awesome. So the first story in the comic is the reprint of the Trigger Twins, as we mentioned. There's also another little reprint of a story called Panhandle Terror about a baldy, nasty man who causes a lot of trouble in Texas for a whole three pages before he gets his just desserts. And then we arrive at the Johnny Thunder story, which is a massive, exciting opening splash panel, full page of Johnny speeding along on his horse, Black Lightning, who's a resplendent white creature, flowing mane, and significantly, a little black mark on his forehead, which is kind of shaped like a lightning bolt, mm -hmm. which is where his name comes from. Interesting. They're speeding along, Johnny's firing his gun. We have the Johnny Thunder logo at the top, and there's a little scroll insert caption that's been added that says showcase presents a top gun prize winner which is about half the size of the similar one that's placed at the start of the trigger twins story at the start of the comic it's interesting that johnny gets the cover but the trigger twins get the first story yeah interesting so this opening splash panel has a little caption box that says ray's ruin and his gang thought they could make an outlaw paradise of mesa city one man stood in their way johnny thunder when they trapped him, they thought they had won, but they didn't know until the battle at Blind Man's Canyon of Johnny Thunder's Unseen, Unseen Allies. Allies. Tremendous. And so the story begins properly on page two. The caption for the first panel says, As Ray's ruin and his gang rain up on Mesa Bluff. Yep, nice bit of western scenery, top of this rocky outcrop. Five horsemen have come to a stop. Throwing up clouds of dust, there's a lovely pink sky behind them. As they draw to a halt, Ray's Ruin says, Mesa City, the only law west of the Pecos. It'd be a perfect spot for waddies like us to hole up in it if it weren't for one man, Johnny Thunder. He's the rattler that helps Sheriff Tain keep law and order hereabouts. And he ain't even a law officer. We get a close-up shot of Ray's Ruin in this panel. He's got a portly-looking gentleman, black hair. A black moustache, little chin bit, wearing a yellow scarf knotted round his neck, a grey hat, and he's got an eye patch. So Yay. he's obviously a baddie. Mm -hmm. he, to me, looks. I immediately thought there, this is Vandal Savage. <laughs> I thought it was uh, Vandal Savage cosplaying Tom Baker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week for the Vandal Savage cosplaying Tom Baker podcast. Yeah. So they've got their sights on Johnny Thunder's hometown. We continue in the next panel, and one of Ray's Ruins gang members, who looks much, much younger, He's sat on a horse beside Ray's ruin, and he says, What's boiling in your head, Ray's? A plan to get Johnny Thunder and the sheriff out of the way, so we can move in and take over this whole stretch for ourselves. 
This is how we'll do it. We'll kidnap someone special from Mesa City and leave an easy trail to follow. Then when Johnny Thunder and the Sheriff sniff that trail to its end, they'll ride right into an ambush. So they ride off in the final panel of page two. One of Ray's Rune's goons says, With them gone, we'll put the squeeze on the solid citizens to leave. And Ray's contributes, And Miss'll become outlaw territory. Our territory. Let's ride. We arrive at the top of page three. Caption for the first panel says, Meanwhile, at the Mesa schoolhouse, Sheriff Tane is about to take leave of his schoolmaster's son, John. Yes, we see John Tane standing with his back to us. <laughs> Incidentally, he, he wears a green suit. <laughs> and his blonde hair. Yes, very much like the old Johnny Thunder. And his dad, who's obviously a lot older, he wears a blue hat, there's a brown shirt, kind of dark brown trousers. His face is kind of cast in shadow. He was in the back of his horse. And Sheriff Tane is saying, So you won't give up this woman's work at teaching kids instead of helping me keep law and order in Mesa? You don't seem to understand, Dad. If these kids learn to keep law and order in school, it'll stay with them through their lives. Words are all I ever get from you. What good are words against bullets? Sometimes words are stronger than bullets, Dad. Sheriff Tain rides off in the next panel, silhouetted against, oh, sat against the sky with a big tree silhouetted against the sky. It's very, mm -hmm. very nice. Mm -hmm. The sheriff rides off saying, Bah! You're not fit to bear the name of Tain. I can empathise. <laughs> anyway, the caption for the next panel. A few moments later. Yep, we're with John, who's now teaching. He's standing in front of the blackboard. He's written the word liberty on it in chalk. He's pointing out with a stick. And he's saying to the assembled classroom, Words can be stronger than bullets. Look at the word on the blackboard, boys and girls. It inspired people to carve our nation out of a wilderness and to keep it free for you and me. It's our job now to carry on in their great tradition. However, caption for the next panel says, After his pupils have gone, Schoolmaster Tane prepares his next day's lesson when... Yep, see John sat at his desk, pen in hand, but he gets lassoed. Good grief. In the final panel of page three, he turns to fight against his assailants, and we see that one of them is another other than Ray's Ruin. John takes a kick at the guy who's lassoed him, making one of Ray's Ruin's goons observe, Look at Sheriff Tane's cub kick! And then Ray's himself says, You must think he's Johnny Thunder, instead of a sissy schoolmaster! And we see a great shot really here of Johnny kicking Ray's Ruin's guy square in the face, who exclaims, Yow! It's very funny. We arrive at the top of page four, and there's a wheat sound effect. <whistles> so, I'm saying, in fact, Johnny's whistling, obviously. But then Ray's Ruin pistol whips him, oofed, the crack, knocking his glasses from his face. Definitely putting this panel on the socials because Ray's Ruin's associate looks like an absolute nut job. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. Ray's observes, whistling for help won't do you no good. Caption name for the next panel. As Ray's Ruin's men ride off with their captive. Long distance shot here. It reminds me of a Terry Gilliam Monty Python cartoon <laughs> for some reason, just the way it's been coloured here. So we see the horses riding along. John's obviously tied up on the back of one of the horses, and we can see again the wheats, the wheats, in effect, because he's whistling. And as they're riding along, Ray's Ruin says, That rap on the head must have made him plumb loco. Listen to the little birdie whistle. His gag must have loosened. And one of Ray's mates replies, No one will hear him. Tighten his gag anyway, just to make sure. The next tiny panel, the whistling is abruptly cut off as we see Johnny being muffled. And as he does this, Weezy's goon says, This'll keep you quiet, you crazy galoots. 
A lot of good you're whistling, did ya? Who'd you expect to ride up, Johnny Thunder? Next panel shows, I think it looks like the sun's setting actually, because mm. it's quite a pink, moody pink sky. See them at a distance, moving along, and Ray's observes. Blind Man's Canyon's where we are heading, boys. In the next panel, we see a shot from inside the canyon. Ray's ruins at the front of the party, riding in. Ray's pal, who's immediately behind him, observes. A sweet spot for an ambush. And Ray says, We can see anyone coming for miles around from the canyon's top. Caption in for the next panel. Inside Blind Man's Canyon. We see that Ray's baddies have tied Johnny to a tree trunk. Obviously a dead tree, there's no growth at the top of it. Ray's who's in silhouette, very, very moody. Who drew this story? Alex Toff. Ah, well that's not that a surprise. everything. Not a surprise at all. Ray's is observing from his silhouette state. Well, schoolmaster, while you cool your heels here, we'll be riding back to the Mesa City to make sure the sheriff knows where you are. So the next panel, we see Ray's and his gang taking their leave. Johnny's been bound, gagged, tied to the tree leaving one of the goons behind to keep an eye on him. And Reyes is saying, When he and Johnny Thunder come looking for you, obviously he's referring to the sheriff and Johnny Thunder, they'll run smack into our trap. Keep a good eye on our whistling waddy here, dork. And dork, who must be the really odd-looking guy we saw at the top of this page, replies, If he makes the move, I'll drill him. <laughs> so we arrive at the top of page five. A little caption says, An hour later. We see dork. Pulling away the gag from Johnny's mouth. Dork says, I bet if it weren't for this year gag shutting your trap, you'd be squealing for mercy like a steer at the slaughterhouse. Let's hear ya. Panel 2, John Tane immediately starts whistling. And Dork exclaims, Huh, must be loco, still whistling. I'd like to know what for. Whistling obviously continues a very incredibly moody panel. See the Dork's nose has gone up to John's forehead and... Dork observes. What you smiling about? What's the... I think with a wump, we're in the panel three, and Dork has been struck from behind by Black Lightning. Gosh. Obviously, yes, who's been summoned by John's whistling. Black Lightning rears up in panel five, delighted with his success. John starts to, struggling to, in the background, we can see movement lines of the silhouette against the tree. This is incredible. Have we done an Alex Toth story before? I don't think so. Mm. No, I don't, I don't think we have either. Yeah. I mean, he's notorious, not notorious, renowned for his use of deep blacks and moody shadow and stuff, and mm -hmm. it's all over, all over this story. John's in silhouette. We can see the silhouette of Dork's heels in the front of the panel. In the background, you see little movement lines to indicate that John is trying to get himself untied from the tree. John cries, I knew you'd hear my whistle, Black Lightning, and that you'd trail us. Now you've got to untie my ropes before that owl hoot comes too. Here they are, boy. Here. Final panel of page five, Black Lightning has arrived behind Johnny and is nibbling away at the ropes and they're coming free. And John says, You remember doing this before? That's it? Good boy. It's a good shot of John here. We can see he's got blonde curly hair, the green and black striped suit, and he's wearing the same sort of little loose bootlace tie that the Spectre wore when he fought Johnny quite recently. Anyway, we arrive at the top of page six. Caption for the first panel says, Freed, the schoolmaster ties and blindfolds the outlaw. Yep, Black Lightning looks on. As in the distance, in the background, John has tied up Dork and is carrying him towards some rocks. Um, where obviously he's going to hide him in the, the darkness and the shadow that they're casting. And as John drags Dork along, John is thinking, He can't see through that blindfold, but I'm not taking any chances. He'll rest here, while I change into the man they're trying to ambush. Yep, the next panel shows John at a distance, removing his suit. 
So I wonder if he wears a superhero, as it were, uniform underneath. It can't be too comfortable. Or does he have? Does he carry it concealed, shrunk down in his pockets? Maybe does, Black Lightning has it in a saddlebag. Uh, that's a point. Or maybe yeah. does he? Does he have a magic ring that he presses? Because it does look as if he's gesturing with his hand there. Does it expand in contact with the air? Panel three now shows that John is now fully transformed into Johnny Thunder. So the suit is gone. He's wearing his blue jeans, brown boots, suede tasseled, mustard coloured shirt, and has his cowboy hat. So I think you're right. I think you can see actually looking back. It does look in panel five of page five. Is is that his hat hanging from from Black Lightning? Is maybe just a water bottle or something? It's not. Yeah, too could be, could be. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the next panels of the horse, you don't see that same circular mm. item, whatever it is, hanging from his saddle. So I guess maybe that Black Lightning carries a full, maybe spare set of costumes, like a like a good boy. So Johnny Thunder declares his name as Johnny Thunder. Leaps onto Black Lightning, and the next panels, they leaping away. He cries again. Let's ride, Black Lightning. Black Lightning, superb. Ren, we arrive at the bottom of page six. There's two panels. The caption for the first one here says, Meanwhile, at Mesa City, news of the schoolmaster's kidnapping had been tauntingly delivered, and... You see with a zonk, as a knife pins a little notice to a bulletin board. The notice says, If Sheriff Tain wants to see his son alive, let him try to get him. Trail starts at the schoolhouse. If anyone but Johnny Thunder tries to help the sheriff, his son will be shot. And it's signed, The New Law of the Mesa. Final panel on page six. Several of the townsfolk are standing around. Sheriff Tane is riding off on his horse, throwing up a cloud of dust. Sheriff is looking back and saying, Tane, my son, has been kidnapped, but the peace, the law has been challenged, and I'm hitting back for it. If I didn't, there wouldn't be any law. If Johnny Thunder shows up, tell him what's doing. And one of the townsfolk replies, We will, Sheriff. Good luck. And we arrive at the top of page seven. The caption for the first panel says, As Sheriff Tane follows the gang's trail, he comes within sight of... We're with Ray's Ruin and his gang who are watching for Sheriff Tane. One of the guys says, <laughs> Look, Ray's, the Sheriff, alone. This is gonna be easy. And Ray says, Yeah, first you pick him off, then Johnny Thunder. Easy now, boys. Caption for the next panel. At that moment, riding hard behind the outlaws, Johnny Thunder comes upon the scene, but... We see Johnny coming to a stop on a clifftop, obviously overlooking what's going on in the canyon. He's aware of what's going on because he says, Great guns, they're going to ambush Dad, but there's nothing I can do about it up here. And it's an interesting sort of layout for this page. There's none of the little directional arrows that you would get in a few years, because the next panel runs the full length of the page and let's have Johnny's dialogue first. We have to get to the other side pronto. Let's go Black Lightning. And they jump off the cliff. Gosh. Yeah it's like that song by the birds Chestnut Mayor. They go right off the cliff and as I say there's no directional arrow so it's a little bit confusing because you could if you hadn't read that panel first reading it with modern eyes it kind of makes sense that you read what's actually panel four as panel three because Mm. with a splash we see Johnny and Black Lightning arrive in the river that is flowing underneath the cliff that they've leapt from. In the final panel of page seven, we see Johnny and Black Lightning swimming underwater. Johnny's thinking, They might have heard the splash. We'll have to stay under as long as we can. Gosh, we arrive at the top of page eight. Now, an interesting observation I want to make here is that um, whatever it is that he colours his hair with, it doesn't readily wash out very quickly after being immersed in a fast-flowing river. 
Hmm. Do you think he wears a wig? I was thinking it might be a wig, yeah. A lot easier than having to dye his hair, but I'm sure yeah. that when I was reading the, the synopsis of the original story, mm -hmm. it talked about him dyeing his hair to disguise himself. So yeah. maybe he modified it, maybe he got a wig. Maybe, maybe. there's a, an unknown story that we haven't read buried deep in an issue of All-American Western called Johnny Thunder's New Wig. Mm -hmm. Who can say? Maybe from the DC comic we'll, we'll cover that story. We'll do that. Maybe he got the wig on his visit to Badnesia. Maybe. We're at the top of page eight. Johnny and Black Lightning have emerged from the water and Johnny helpfully says, Had to come up for air, but we should be near Dad now. And the next panel, see Johnny and Black Lightning fully immersed in the water, walking up the sort of little rocky ground and Sheriff Tain has arrived. Sheriff Tain says, Johnny! Johnny Thunder! I'm sure glad to see you! You heard about my son? I found him and freed him. He's alright, but you're riding right into the makings of an ambush, Sheriff. Caption for the next panel. At that moment... And we're back with Ray's Ruin and his gang. Very nice moody silhouette stuff mm -hmm. going on here. Ray's Ruin says, Talk about clay pigeons. <laughs> Choose your targets, boys. And one of Ray's goons says, Leave Johnny Thunder to me. The next panel, we can see they've obviously opened fire because there's sort of directed bang and blams coming in from the right of the panel. They've obviously been good shots because Sheriff Tain's horse, we don't find out his name, goes right down through up clouds of dust. Sheriff Tain falls from the back of his horse saying, Ah, oh, never mind me, Johnny. Go get him. Oh, and we see Johnny and Black Lightning proceeding at speed. However, there's a bang and Black Lightning rears up throwing Johnny from his seat. Johnny exclaims, Black Lightning, what? Next panel, Black Lightning's down on the ground. Johnny's down beside him as bullets zing past him. Johnny cradles his horse and says, That's why you threw me, Lightning. You took the lead meant for me. Oh my goodness, I hope he's all right. First panel of page nine. Johnny starts to move, saying, You've done your job, Black Lightning. Now rest easy while I do mine. I love that. Is that the horse silhouetted at the front of the panel? Or yeah. Is it, yeah, it's, yeah. He's, his ear at the top there. Mm -hmm. This is very nice. I mean, the next panel's gorgeous. The way that Johnny's hat has been rendered with the shadows that are showing the, the full shape of it is astonishing. Johnny fires his gun with a blam, and in the background, in the distance, we see and hear, Hey! As he's obviously taken out one of Razy's baddies. One of Razy's other goons says in the next panel, He got Elmac. And Razy replies, But we got him. Go out and make sure. And we can see in the background of this panel that Johnny is face down on the ground. Uh-oh. So in panel four, we see the silhouetted spurs, two of Razy's goons, as they creep down towards Johnny's body. Johnny's down on the ground, his face turned away from him, the trademark Superman-style curl that Pete mentioned earlier can be seen hanging forlornly, his hat draped over his back. One of the goons says, He's finished! And the other one says, We'll turn him over and see. But then in the next panel, Johnny springs up, and with a bang-bang, shoots at them both. One of the goons has time to say, He's playing possum! Drill him! But they're too late. The next panel, see one of them recoiling, hands to his head, the other one crouching as he falls forward. It's click-click sound effects as Johnny observes. My guns are empty. And we get a nice close-up of Ray's ruin as he says, Johnny Thunder's cold meat when he ain't got lead to throw. We arrive at the top of page 10. The first panel is from, essentially, I suppose, from Ray's ruin's point of view. As he points his gun at Johnny, he is now marching towards him. Johnny says, You can't kill me, Ray's. I'm not a person. I'm an idea. and You can't shoot an idea. Ray's hand starts to shake in the next panel as Johnny gets closer and says, I'm fighting for the idea that men can live in peace without fear. And in panel three, Johnny's even closer and he cries, If I fall, a million men are ready to take my place, but men like you are alone. 
you're you're loco. I'll cut you in two, cries Ray as he starts firing his gun in panel four. Bang, bang, blam, blam. But then in the next panel, Johnny punches him out with a right hook as Ray's falls back, his scarf flailing, and he says, I missed at blank range too. Oh. Slow dissolve, caption for the next panel says. After attending to his prisoners, Johnny Thunder turns to his father and his horse. Yes, yeah, good panel here showing Johnny bandaging up Sheriff Tane's left shoulder. Sheriff Tane, who we can see quite clearly here, white hair, white moustache, is saying, Jumping horn toes, Johnny! Now I'll have to apologise to that schoolmaster son of mine when I see him. Johnny says, Why? In the final panel, Sheriff Tane says, Because he said words can be mightier than bullets. And you just proved it. And we see Johnny and Black Lightning both looking very smug and pleased. And a tiny little caption says, The The end. And there's also a lovely Alexander Toth box as he signs his work at the bottom there. Awesome. And very Kirk Spock McCoy all having a laugh on the bridge there. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. (laughs) The opposite page is the same Team Beam advert mentioning the monkeys that we had Mm -hmm. with the Spectre last week. Alec Toth's artwork is fantastic. Yes. It's so good. It's really interesting reading this story because some of it really reminds me of other artists that might have taken inspiration from it. I can see a lot of Steve Ditko in this. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see a lot of Keith Giffen in this, especially with the shading. Uh, you know, Giffen, later Giffen liked to use the, the shaded faces a lot. There's tons of that in this. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. The storytelling choices are amazing as well. That panel you're talking about with Black Lightning jumping off the cliff yes. is just beautiful it's it so is. good yeah, it yeah. Is. it's going to be it's going to be tough picking out 10 panels to fit on instagram <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed it i mean as i said as i said at the top because you know we were doing this i read a few other johnny thunder stories that i had mm-hmm. to hand and you know, this isn't the best of them but it's fun i do enjoy a western yep. in the wake of my obsession with the magnificent seven a few years ago i'm much more agreeable to western stories than i think i'd ever been before it rattles along the cover's not entirely representative i suppose but no, i not. was very amused by dork yes you know, he was a, looked like a real, a real thick old... And Ray's ruined himself with his with his distinctive, you know, Rupert Bear-style yellow scarf. It was quite... <laughs> he was quite a memorable baddie. And I really liked that closing sequence there where Johnny just basically mm-hmm. talked him into defeat. Yeah. Just, re, you know, reaffirming what he'd said when he was John Tain. Yep. It's good. I think it's a good message to send kids. Mm-hmm. You know, that words are maybe a better way of dealing with things rather than fighting or killing. But then, of course, Johnny yeah. then... Shoots people. <laughs> does, does shoot people himself, but you know he, so, he can't. He can't. Yeah. We can't have always listeners come on. That's why the West was wild. Yeah, and it's it's good that he punches out Ray's room rather than just shooting them at point blank range. Yeah, I'm glad we got a shot of him doing the schoolwork sort of thing because that really yeah. sets him up as the as the moral guy that he is. You know, mm-hmm. although you don't really see any pupils in the school, no. it's just a close up of him at the front. Yeah, of the class, so. you see one of them at a desk, but mm-hmm. you know, not the densest of stories we've ever done. Nope. There's only 10 pages. You know, but four, I think down. I wrote down when I was doing the plan, I think I wrote four or five cast names down when, mm-hmm. when I'm doing it. But you know, it's a lot of fun. And it's interesting to think about that they were, were they contemplating bringing back, you know, Western characters full time? Because yeah. you know, we're not too far away from the introduction of Jonah Hex at this point. Mm-hmm. As the crow flies, you know, a couple, mm-hmm. he's a couple of years away. Or maybe, was it just a case of, oh God, we've got nothing for showcase this <laughs> month. Should we just put some Westerns out? Can you, yeah. Sid, can you design a logo? <laughs> Pete mentioned earlier on the, the couple of issues of Super DC Giant that were published in the 70s and they, they appropriated the Top Gun sort of logo and made it Top Guns of the West mm-hmm. and, and reprint a few Western stories. So I'll stick the covers for those up on the socials. 
this story that we've covered obviously was originally published in 1948, but in 1959, July 1959, in fact, in issue 108 of Strange Adventures, there was a story called The Last Horse on Earth by John Broom, with art by Gil Kane and Bernard Sachs. And this is sort of set in the far future, the 35th century, in fact. And it deals with a, a boy called Var Evans, who's, it says in the text here, was regarded as a throwback to the 19th century, imagining he lived in the Wild West, riding his trusty horse in pursuit of outlaws. And it's a basic sort of science fiction space western about a guy who's given a sort of robotic horse, joins the space police, etc. And there's some very clear references to Johnny Thunder. So I'll just read you the little sequence of panels on the bottom of page three. As Var rides through some fog, and he thinks, they say that nothing, not jeep jets, nor the police launch can operate in this grog. But on a horse, it's different. A horse can go anywhere. I learned about tracking from my fictional hero, Johnny Thunder, of the ancient days of the West. Gasp. In fact, I named my horse Black Lightning after Johnny Thunder's Wonder Horse. So there's another panel where Var says, I read about Johnny Thunder riding Indian style to avoid enemy gunfire. That means basically riding along the side of the horse so he can't be seen. Of course, Black Lightning being a robot, the bullets bounce off. This robot horse was built by Var's dad and some of Var's colleagues are sort of appalled by it. But then the story concludes with some more mechanical horses being built. So it's really a sort of parable, I suppose, about the fortitude and heartiness of horses. But it's quite interesting, at the same time that Johnny was being published as a Western character still, that they were doing this science fiction story that indicated that he cast quite a long shadow. Black Lightning is another DC legacy character. Yes. As well as being the Western Johnny Thunder's horse, Mm -hmm. he's the robot horse of 35th century space policeman Var Evans. And this probably is the ideal point was to address the other Black Lightning. Yes, Jeff Pierce, Black Lightning, whose debut is far away. Yes, who's the one that probably first springs to mind when you think, to be honest, when you think of a DC comic character. With the name of Black Lightning, it must be said. But he's actually the third. Yes, so there you go. I bet you didn't know that, listeners. There we go. That's the sort um, of research we do for you on the Earth 2 podcast. It is. I mean, did Tony Isabella have all that in mind when he created Black Lightning in the 70s? Possibly. I don't think so. <laughs> so yes, I mean, Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning, first appeared in issue one of his own book, which was published in January the 4th, 1977. We know him well because he was a member of the Outsiders. When mm-hmm. did you first encounter the Jefferson Pierce version? In Black Lightning. His own comic, I had yeah. one of those when I was very young. I'm pretty sure it was an issue of Justice League of America. Oh, the one where they... They invite him to join. The, yeah, with, with the regulator. Yeah. And they're all in disguise. Yeah, that's, that um, famous that famous cover. Yes. And with that jive bunch of turkeys in the JLA, you know, that awful dialogue. Yeah, it's terrible, but it's wonderful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the past, Peter and I have alluded to what we would do when we write our own DC comic. Yes. I think the three black lightnings. They should team up. Is an essential. Yeah, of so course. When Johnny Thunder's horse gets transported through time into the future and then they both team up with Jeff Pierce, I think that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. The original DC Black Lightning was a horse. You had it here first, so maybe you didn't, <laughs> but yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting that they never really brought this Johnny Thunder back. As I said, there was the short reprint series, there was the Whatever Happened To, mm. but really... Compared to all other Western heroes, he sort of faded from from view. And I wonder if that's maybe because they thought people might get confused with two characters called Johnny Thunder. I don't know. I mean, it's it's possible because, you know, the Johnny Thunder JSA guy mm-hmm. pops up occasionally. Yeah. You know, there's the JLA JSA team up where the, the Earth 1 version of him comes back. Mm-hmm. 
which can't be too far away from when the, the whatever happened to story was probably. And I remember yeah. the, the I'm sure the whatever happened to actually refers to the guy we've been talking about today as the Western Johnny Thunder. They make yeah. that distinction. Uh-huh. It's possible. You know, I suppose they could have called him Johnny Lightning or something. I suppose, but you know, you're you're right. It's I mean, remember when DC Comics revived Jonah Hex for Vertigo Comics and did mm-hmm. Two Gun Mojo and all. Yeah, they could have done something like that, but I think that might have spoiled the the innocence of the character. Nighthawk, one of the other DC Western characters, obviously retconned as being one of Hawkman's past lives at one yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So you know, he's off the chart, but he does pop up in Crisis, as we say briefly. Yeah. I can't even think the last time I ever heard mention or saw him. You know, in a comic ever, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. It's a shame. Yep. Because as I say, I've read a few stories recently. You know, I've got the three issues of the 70s reprint. I've got the 1950s hardback. Mm-hmm. I've got the Top Gun issues. They've all got stories. And they're great fun. It's an interesting character. It's an interesting spin on the superhero identity. Yeah. You know, his dad doesn't rate him. It just shows that his dad's an idiot for not really realising his son's <laughs> true worth and all. And there's a lesson there for us all, I'm sure. It's not just his dad. It's the entire town. Yeah. Every time I read Mesa City, I kept on thinking of Mega City from Judge Dredd. <laughs> I kept thinking of Jar Jar Binks for some reason. Ah, we said people are going to die? Yeah. Like I say, I've managed to scrape together a few bits and bobs for the supplementary material for this issue. So be sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook pages. You can find them under the Earth 2 podcast. You'll see the cover on some panels and some other DC Comics goodies. And sadly, there's no reader reaction from this period either, so we don't know what the reaction was to this story. Yeah. Other than the fact that he didn't really appear again until more reprints further down the line. Yeah. It's, I think it's significant that they gave him, you know, three issues of a reprint, but they were reprinting so much mm-hmm. in the early 70s at that yeah. point. There's there points when, like, you know, when you look back at what they were putting out, and, like, you know, half the stuff they were putting out was reprints of old material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably just to clear all that paper backlog they had. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll never know, I suppose, if this was just done as a as a stopgap, or maybe they were thinking about doing a Western anthology series, because they were still publishing several war books at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe we'll uncover something, but yeah. Yep, that doesn't stop you from getting in touch with us, telling us what you think about this story, what you think about the team-up of the Three Black Lightnings, should all the Johnny Thunders team up to save the Black Lightnings from an evil fate, a yep. terrible fate. Should there be an inter- inter-company crossover where the Kyle Richmond Nighthawk teams up with the DC Comics Western Nighthawk? I'd pay, Gosh. I'd pay 2 95 to read that any day of the week. There we are, that'd be yeah. exceptional. It would be. Yep, so you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com and as well as the Facebook and Instagram that David's already mentioned, you can follow us on Twitter where we're at podcast underscore earth2. Tremendous. Right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go and polish my my sheriff's badge and cool. go out riding about on horses or something like, in a vague attempt to try and make this some kind of western themed wind up. <laughs> I'm gonna go and shoe a horse. Great idea. Excellent. Awesome. On that right. note, yes. I've been Peter. He has been Peter. I've been David and everything. And we'll see you next time on the Earth Two Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth. Prime. So we can move in and take over this whole stretch for ourselves. Sarge <laughs> <Our> Jim Lat. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs>